school. And so and then the uh, the white kid, you know, always messing with him, picking on him and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So he said, uh, you know, he said, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna paint myself white. So he painted himself white. He was so happy. The kids at school, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know, they liked him. So talking to him, you know. Mm-hmm. He got home, you know. Said, "Look, mama, I'm white." The mama looked at him and grabbed him and started beating, just beating. Mm-hmm. You ain't white, you know. Mm-hmm. So he took off and ran to the daddy. Said, "Daddy, look, I'm white." The daddy started beating him, you know. <laughs> then he, then he ran to the grandmama. Grandmama, look, I'm white. And she grabbed her walking cane and started hitting it with a walking cane, you know. So he ran, the daddy walked up to him, said, now have you learned anything? He said, yeah. He said, I've been white for 30 hey, minutes and I hate three niggas already. <laughs> I hate the fact that it's cool to be black these days. Good. I hate this hip hop fucking influence on white fucking suburbia. Good. And I hate Tabitha Soren and all her Zionist MTV fucking pigs telling us we should get along. Save the rhetorical bullshit, Hillary Rodham Clinton, because it ain't gonna fucking happen. Open our eyes. Every night, thousands of these parasites stream across the border. Over two million illegal immigrants bedding down in this state tonight. just to lock up a bunch of illegal immigrants, criminals. There's nothing funny going on here. This is about your life and mine. Statue of Liberty, it says, give me your tired, you're hungry, you're poor. Well, it's Americans who are tired and hungry and poor. And I say until you take care of that, close the fucking book. going on and I don't see anybody doing anything about it. And it fucking pisses me off. This isn't our fucking neighborhood, it's a battlefield. 
Good evening, family. How's everybody doing tonight? Thank you all very, very much for being here, man. I hope y'all are having a great Friday. I hope you guys have a great weekend, man. Uh, man, we got some interesting stuff to talk about tonight. Give me just one second. We're going to start off by reading uh, a thing from a pastor that I actually uh, found through Mr. Ridgway. A couple things I uh, found from Mr. Ridgway. One of the stories I'm going to cover tonight, I actually heard years and years ago. On uh, his channel, man. But before we get into that, what's up, everybody? Parasing Torx, what's up, brother? Porus, what's up, fam? Mr. Vodka, Forza, what's up, family? Mrs. Dominicus, what's up, brother? How are you, bub? Glad you're here. 3737, Kick Chef, Wiggy Dog, what's up, fam? Chihuahua, what's up, Bubba? White Wall, Bias Plies, Turbo Nerd, what's up, fam? Uh, I think that's pretty much... Did I say Turbo Nerd? Yeah, I said Turbo Nerd and Forza. What's up, guys? Thank you all very much for being here tonight, man. Yeah, tonight, man, we're going to talk about something, man. You know, there's a common misconception, uh, I mean, even in our circles, but with uh, whites in general, that, uh, you know, niggers are are just the way they are because of, like, modern circumstance, right? Socioeconomics, um, like, you know, they don't have fathers and weird shit like this. All of these excuses. Uh, What's up, Ofendar? All of these excuses, son of Europa, what's up? Uh, all of these excuses that people will give for these fucking niggers and their behavior. And I want to highlight, before we get into this, that, that the, wiser peop- the wisest of our people, the wisest of our people back before uh, integration knew, right? The wisest of our people. And they were scoffed at, they were belittled, they were berated, much like we are now, right? This this path of truth has always been a narrow and lonely path, right? And and it tells us that that we we know that that's the way of the truth, right? 
We've been told that time, not only in the Bible, but through other wise men throughout history. You know, the path of the truth is a narrow and lonely path because people don't want to accept the truth, right? People don't want to accept the truth because it makes them feel like mean or some gay shit, right? But here is a passage from a pastor. This is from a, a site called Tyler History. This is a, from a, uh, a pastor, and um, here we go. This is from... Uh, the Tyler American was an American KKK newspaper published for almost three years from 1922 to 1924. The newspaper is one of eight Klan papers in Texas. Te Texas published more Klan newspapers than any other state. The article text is, on Sunday morning, May 1921, 1922, people began to turn their faces toward Great, or Grace Baptist Church as it had been announced that the pastor, A.S. Poindexter, would preach that morning on the subject of the Ku Klux Klan. They came in wagons and buggies and Fords and automobiles. Men and women and boys and girls were there in great number, the rich and the poor, the grizzled veterans of the 60s and the heroes of the world and heroes of the world where came. That's what, that's what it says there, W-A-R-E here. I'll put it on the big so you guys can maybe read along with me. Uh, so, yeah, heroes of the world where came pouring in until the building was filled to overflowing after appropriate songs and prayer the pastor came to the front and asked this question is the pulpit a theme he read from the holy writ of the enemies tempting christ where he asked for a coin of the roman empire and he said render unto caesar the things of caesar and to god the things of god and he said he said he thought this was certainly a scriptural subject he chose his text he chose for his text proverbs 14:34 he said i he said i am not speaking for any organization today but for the principle of the bible and he illustrated his position placing the bible on the bible placing the pulpit bible on the floor and standing on it catching a hold of the american flag that was near and wrapping it around his body i stand here on the word of god encircled with the american flag and offer my hand of fellowship to all who believe in the fellowship to all who believe in the principles of this bible this flag and this gov of this government shall i oppose or defend the ku klux klan that was the question that came to me when i first heard of it all last fall when they had a parade in tyler the next day i read in the daily paper the placards they carried proclaiming the world the word that they stood for or i'm sorry the world that they stood for one of these placards was social purity and chastity. Shall I oppose the Ku Klux Klan and their stand for this? If I oppose them, then our girls will go unprotected. Certainly, I cannot oppose them and their stand for this. Another placard they carried read race supremacy. The Germans believed in race supremacy and brought on the Great War. The Jews believed in it. What am I to believe? I read where one man said he believed in the supremacy of the white man in the daytime. What did he believe at night? The supremacy of the Negro? The Ku Klux Klan stands for the supremacy of the white race. Shall I oppose them? If I do, what shall I stand for? It will be either equality of the Negro or supremacy of the Negro. I can do, I can do no other than advocate for the supremacy of the white race and stand with the Ku Klux Klan on that principle. We are agreed. Another placard read, One flag, one Bible, one school. I believe in that. 
When I was at Yorktown, the Catholics erected a building there and ran the American flag up and just under the flag, the flag of the Pope. No KCC stands for one, no, KCC stands for one flag, one Bible, and one school. I take my stand with them for this. O glory and no other flag in all the world. I cannot do other than that, so help me God. Another placard read, protect our women. Shall I oppose them? Shall I oppose virtuous womanhood? Shall I take my stand against the Ku Klux Klan and their stand for protecting our pure womanhood? I do not have it in me to oppose them. We never heard of any organization proclaiming such to the world until the Ku Klux Klan did. Did you ever hear of the Democratic Party declaring in their platform for the protection of virtuous womanhood? Did you ever hear of the Republicans writing in their platform for the protection of virtuous womanhood? Or the Socialists, or the Prohibitionists, or the KCCs? No. Shall I oppose them? Jesus said, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that opposeth you opposeth me. And by party of reasoning, if I oppose the Ku Klux Klan, I will oppose the protection of our women and girls. So help me God, I will not oppose them. Another thing is good treatment of the Negroes. The Negro has nothing to fear. Cohabitation of black and whites must stop. What do you say? Do you give them the right of way? You build fences to separate your cattle and your chickens and keep your dogs separated. Do you think more of your cattles and chickens and dogs than of your sons and daughters? Another placard read, Bootleggers, it's your move. Do you think they should move on and on and on? There is only one place they ought to stop, and that is the penitentiary. What do you call them, bootleggers? Why not call them by their right name? Why not call them whiskey dealers? And why not call them murderers? Shall I oppose the Ku Klux Klan on this? I cannot. Married men, another placard read, married men spend more time at home. The home is the pulse of the nation, of society and the church. A nation is no greater than the home life of the people. Furniture and houses do not make a home. And that's, that's pretty much the end of it. So that is a, a, a little write-up from a preacher in 1922, man. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? And that's just it, Mr. Vodka. This is what, that's, that's a big reason I wanted to read this. One, to show you the, the, the attitude towards this whole situation, integration in this time, and to show you the, the old Christian way of thinking, right? This is pre-Schofield shit, right? Or right around that time that it was all coming around. I think uh, the Schofield uh, Bible was uh, right around 1916 uh, is when they started doing that thing. I can't remember. I did a whole show about it and can't even fucking remember when it was. <laughs> but uh, this was right around that time, right? This is when uh, Christians still had uh, racial consciousness in this country, right? And this is what Christianity was. You know, uh, it wasn't always this cucked universalist bullshit, right? But yeah, uh, thank you very much, Rock. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Why, why, my, that where was probably a, a a typo. But yeah, man, I thought that was really interesting, man. Because, you know, uh, even back then, like, well, this was what twenty two. So this this uh this first thing that we're gonna talk about wasn't far away. So let's see when uh, Lead Belly was. When was Lead Belly? Uh. I forget exactly. Yeah, 1924. 
right, was when he was in. So this is right around the same time, right? So this nigger here, uh, Hudley Leadbelly, uh, Hudley Leadbelly, they called him Leadbelly. He was a, a blues uh, musician in um, in the South. I think he bounced around New York, Louisiana, Texas. He was locked up in all those places, so he was all over the place, uh, really. But uh, his music's fucking terrible. I listened to some of it. He had, like, anti-Hitler music that was like, oh, Hitler, we're coming for you, and oh, Hitler, you're a bad man, and blah, 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 all this weird shit. But uh, he was a total fucking piece of shit. Um. He was convicted of murder. He killed one of his family members. I'm not going to read through this whole thing because his, his shit really isn't all that interesting. But what, in, what is interesting I'm going to get into. He was convicted of murder for killing one of his relatives. Goes to prison. And in prison gets into a fucking knife fight and almost kills that guy. He gets stabbed in the throat as well. But uh, almost kills that guy. And then the motherfucker gets pardoned by the governor who ran on a platform of not pardoning people. Of not issuing pardons. Uh, I'll check it out, uh, Mises. Uh, Thorium's here? What's up, Thorium? Holy shit, dude. Is that like like Thorium Thorium from D-Live back in the day? If so, what's up, brothers? Good to see you're still around, man. I haven't heard from you in a long time. Uh, and if not, um, welcome to... Uh, welcome to the channel, New Thorium. <laughs> Whichever way it goes. But yeah, so... This nigger uh gets um get out gets let out of prison, it gets exonerated or, or pardoned. I'm sorry, gets pardoned by a guy go a governor who ran on not pardoning people. Um gets out because he like sung him a song or some shit. He would like sing songs for the guards and shit. And this fucking uh, governor Pat Neff was his name. Uh, pardoned him. In 1924, he was pardoned for murder. Then goes on to like get into other fights and, and and shit and like you know raise hell all over the everywhere he goes, and ends up almost beating someone else to death and goes back to prison for like basically attempted murder, right? Like for beating someone to fucking death. Uh, you know, and this is all the way back in, in the fucking 20s, right? So they've always been violent and they've always been up to this uh th this same degenerate shit right the way that they're like hypersexual and disgusting in their behaviors and mannerisms they've always been up to that uh i've got this chick here i think i've actually played her shit on this show before but here's a chick uh when this shit goes away lucille bogan we're gonna play some play some of her music just a little bit of this music this is lucille bogan I fuck them in oh, the the, the thing. I got a man I love, I got a man I like. Every time I fuck them in, I give them the doggone claps. Oh, baby, give them the doggone clap. Give them the doggone clap. This is this fucking nasty bitch is in the fucking 30s. This is like 1935 really when this song came out, like 1935. So they've always been like this. And our people, like I said, the wisest of our people knew this back in the day. And that's why they didn't want to live around them. Right? Like that Christian pastor said there, you, you build fences for your chickens, your dogs, your cattle, but not your fucking sons and daughters. Right? You let them run wild with the animals. Well, I mean, we come to discuss niggers. Right, exactly, huh? 
Yeah, and she, exactly. Look at those fucking. Yeah, she is a, a, a terrifying. She looks like a, a goblin, right? She looks like a fucking goblin. 100%. Looks like a motherfucking goblin. So, yeah, this shit has always been going on with these people. But anyhow, on to what we're going to cover tonight for the most part. Here in the first half, we're going to go over uh, the Hi-Fi murders. Anybody who uh, used to listen to Hate House back in the day will have heard of this before. If you did not, then uh, this is going to be some really, really intense shit, man. This is... uh, Oh, do you want to go back to it? I can go back to it. I just, I don't like to listen to the whole thing because it's just so fucking vulgar and disgusting here, but I'll go back to it for you, uh, Pins, man. Here we go. I got a man I love. I got a man I like. Every time I fuck them men's, I give them the doggone claps. Oh, baby. Give them the doggone claps. But that's the kind of pussy that they really like. I told him I got a good cock, and it's got four damn good names. Rough cock, rough cock, tough cock, cock without a bone. You can fuck my cock, suck my cock, or leave my cock alone. Oh, baby, honey, up is all night long. Yeah, you know what, uh, Mrs. It's funny you say that because uh, let me pull this up real quick. This bitch, Lucille Bogan, even back then was uh, pushing faggot shit, right? Mrs. in the chat says niggers are gay. Yes, and this bitch back in the 30s was pushing faggot shit. So let me find this. I wasn't really going to talk too much about this because it just really wasn't that interesting to me, especially not when we got the uh, hi-fi murders and stuff to cover. But um, yeah, here it is. Uh, another of her songs, the BD Woman Blues, takes the position of a bull dyke. The lyrics are, coming a time, BD, women, they ain't gonna need no men. They got a head like a sweet angel, and they walk just like a natural man, and they can lay their jive just like a natural man. So she's talking about bull dyke bitches. Even back in the 30s. Yes, they've always been gay. They've always been on this weird shit. Always. On into it, guys. Sorry about that little delay there. I had to go use the restroom. I do apologize for that. Let's get on into it, man. The Hi-Fi Murders, man. Uh, so it says, There have been many hostage situations that have ended in murder, but what happened at the Hi-Fi shop in Oregon, or Ogden, Utah, was one of the most gruesome hostage situations in the U.S., on the evening of April 22nd, 1974, six men robbed the electronics store and held the clerks, an unlucky teenager, and two worried parents hostage. The hostages were found or were forced to drink Drano and were savagely tortured, and some were killed, while the others, others suffered, suffered lifelong injuries and trauma from the attack. While many, uh, while many hostage situations end with the perpetrator committing suicide or getting shot by the police, the high fire murders made it out alive. In fact, three of the men were never captured for their part in the robbery. These Ogden High Fire Murders were facts are incredibly appalling and graphic, so uh, read with caution is what it says or some shit like that. So here we go. Employees Stanley Walker. Here, let me pull this up. Uh, boom, here we go. Employees Stanley Walker, 
age 20, and Michelle Ansley, age 19, were the two initial hostages. They were dragged into the shop's basement as the rest of the assailants robbed the store. Courtney Nasbit, Nasbit, age 16, entered the store with the intention of thanking the clerks for letting him park in the lot as he ran errands. Instead, he was also taken hostage and thrown into the basement. Walker's father, Oren Walker, age 43, went to the store to check on his son and was subsequently taken hostage as well. A little while later, Nesbitt's mother, Carol Nesbitt, age 52, also went to the store to check on her son. She was bound and gagged and placed with the other prisoners. The victims were all told by the perpetrators to drink a substance they claimed to be vodka and sleeping pills. But as soon as the four hostages drank the contents, their throats began to burn, blisters formed in their throats and mouths, and skin around their mouths began to peel off. The liquid they drank was Drano, an industrial drain cleaner. The victims screamed in pain, so the perpetrators attempted to tape their mouths shut. Tape their mouths shut. When they were unable to, because of the pus oozing from the blisters forming on the victims' mouths, uh, which prevented the duct tape from sticking. One of the assistants, Dale Selby Pierre, shot Carol and Courtney Nesbitt in the head. Irritated that they weren't dying, he shot Oren and Stan Walker, and the violence didn't end there. It says, Michelle Ansley was sexually assaulted and then shot in the head. After shooting the four, four hostages, Pierre set his sights on the teenage girl. Pierre forced her at gunpoint into another part of the basement and made her take off her clothes. The man then proceeded to rape the girl repeatedly. When finished, Ansley was thrown next to the other hostages and then shot in the head. Right before being shot, Ansley begged for her life and her last words were, I'm too young to die. After shoot, okay, uh, Oren Walker survived the attack by pretending to drink the Drano and convulsing. After shooting all the hostages, Andrews and Pierre noticed Oren Walker was still breathing. What the assailants didn't know is that Walker did not drink the Drano. When he saw the pain occur, or when he saw the pain of the other four victims that the other four victims were going through, he allowed the cleaner to pour out of his mouth when the others began convulsing. Walker mimicked it and feigned death. When the others began convulsing, Walker mimicked it and feigned death. Upset he was still alive, Pierre tried choking the man to death by wrapping a wire around his throat, but he did not succeed. The man then placed a pin inside Walker's ear, and Pierre stomped on it, believing Walker was now dead. The two carried on robbing the store and then left. Miraculously, Walker survived, being mildly poisoned and shot in the head, choked and tortured. Walker was able to testify in court against his assailants. Walker died in the year 2000 at the age of 69. Courtney Nesbitt also survived but suffered massive brain damage. Courtney Nesbitt survived the attack but suffered from amnesia and extensive brain damage. He spent the rest of his life in pain from the shooting and died in 2002 at the age of 44. Carol Nesbitt survived the attack initially, but subsequently died in the hospital from her injuries. When, Brian, when Dr. Byron Nesbitt, the father of Courtney and husband of Carol, went to the morgue to identify his wife, he knew his world was shattered. Here's a quote from him. He says, I went down to the, I went down to the morgue to identify her, and I, still, and I can still see her. That's amazing to think that she was dead. That's a weird that's a weird quote, right? That's amazing. Like, did I read that wrong? I went down in the morgue to identify her and I can still see her. That's amazing. I think and she was dead. 
What? That's a bizarre fucking statement. I don't really know what to make of that. Naisbet found his then found his son who was in a coma and I knew he said I knew my life had changed right there. <laughs> Says the killers got the <laughs> the killers got the idea to use Drano from the film Magnum Force. What's going on here? Is this the is this the movie here? If it is, we'll fucking play it. The day after the murder robbery, police received a tip from an airman stationed at the same Air Force base as Andrews and Pierre. The man informed the police he witnessed two men watch the movie Magnum Force the night before. He also heard whispers from the two men about a future robbery. In the film Magnum Force, a woman is forced to drink Drano, causing her immediate death. Andrews and Pierre watched the scene and felt it would be a quick and easy way to murder their future hostages. After the tip, police promptly went to the Air Force base and arrested Andrews and Pierre. Keith Roberts, another airman, was later arrested after police learned he was in one of the getaway vans. Investigators were never able to obtain enough evidence to convict the other three unidentified men involved in the crime. Look at these fucking... Look at that fucking baboon, dude. Jesus Christ. Look at his fucking hair. It, uh, it looks like he cut his hair like that. It looks like his fucking hair starts halfway back his fucking head. How bizarre. Here, let's see what we're going here. Here's what here's where they got their inspiration for the for the Drano shit. Of course they got it from some fucking shaft ass kind of some shaft style fucking black exploitation film. Yes, sir. Is that the nigger from uh like Tales from the Hood? Just young? Don't shit me. I wouldn't do that. I've been waiting for you for one whole week. Yeah, driving <laughs> Look at the convention over the hotel. No telephones at that hotel. I've been working like hell, you know. Look. Let me show you. <laughs> See, it's all here. All I was gonna make this whore. <laughs> like you've been holding out on me. No, I haven't. I've been straight with you. Later, paramedic. You know me. Damn right, I know you. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that, but this I guess that's the movie they got the inspiration for. Uh <laughs> I love Dirty Harry villain. I've never watched any of the Dirty Harry movies, man. Uh <clears throat> But anyway. Uh Pierre, the man responsible for shooting the hostages, was given three death sentences for his crimes, each one for one for each of the murder victims. While incarcerated, Pierre managed to change his name a total of twenty seven times, hoping to take some heat and embarrassment off his family name. Pierre said he found God while in prison and spent his last days before execution reading his Bible, praying, and fasting. Before being put to death, Pierre requested $29 in his prison commissary to account to go to his partner in crime. <laughs> he sent his last $30 in his commissary to this other fucking piece of shit nigger. Uh, shit. Who was also executed on August 28, 1987. Williams Andrews was uh, re received a death sentence for his role in the murders. After a lengthy appeals process, Andrews was scheduled for execution on uh, July 30th, 1992. Many civil rights advocates, as well as NAACP, took issues with Andrews' sentence. Blah 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 blah. Uh, this Pierre guy was suspect in additional murders, uh, originally from Trinidad. So this is a Trinidadian nigger. This is like a basically like a Cuban nigger. Uh. Moved to the United States at age 18. Was known to get in trouble. Uh, 
And both of these dudes were in the military, by the way. Uh, this guy here was in the Air Force. He's uh, a suspect in the murder of Sergeant Edward Jefferson, a man found murdered in his apartment, although there wasn't enough evidence to, for, to convict Pierre. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. So this nigga's just running around murdering all kinds of people and while well, active duty military. And that's what I was just saying the other day on Night Nation radio show. You know, uh, the military is replete with these kind of fucking pieces of shit, dude. Absolutely fucking replete with it. Dude, it is, it's, it's compromised. The U.S. military is, is a hostile force at this point. To us, anyway, for sure. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the area. I've never even heard of New Albany, but... Uh, no, I've never been up that way. I've, furthest up that way I've been, Bearsing Torx, is Chicago. That's the furthest up that way I've been. Uh, so the alleged mastermind behind this whole story is is a free man. Uh, Kenneth Roberts stayed awaiting a van during the ro- during the murder slash robbery. He was one of the prosecutor. He was the one the prosecutors believed to be the mastermind behind the murder. Unlike his co-defendants, Robert was only charged with aggravated robbery and served 13 years in prison and was paroled in May 1987. Yeah, he, he lives in fucking Oklahoma. Robert's moved to Chandler, Oklahoma and was last known to be holding down a job at an electronics store. <laughs> How fucking ironic is that? Motherfucker moves to uh, Oklahoma and then fucking starts working in the same kind of store that he fucking murdered these people in. Holy shit, dude. So, yeah, that's the fucking hi-fi murders, man. Raped these women, forced them all to drink bleach, fucking kicked a pin through this guy's ear, shot them all in the head. All for, like, some fucking stereos and, what, a couple hundred bucks. How much could that place possibly have had? Right? How much fucking uh, money could that kind of place possibly had in the fucking 90s? The fucking radio shop in the 90s. What do you mean, uh, Morgan Freeman? (laughs) Excuse me, guys. All right. Uh, But yeah, dude. So yeah, that's the the fucking hi-fi murders, man. Where did that take place at again? Uh, Ogden, Utah. This is in fucking Utah. Ogden, Utah. The other thing we got to talk about tonight is uh, the Claremont Killer. This is a uh, a serial killer, a nigger serial killer out of, uh, I think it was over somewhere in uh, San Diego, I believe. Yeah, it was out in San Diego. Cleophas Prince Jr. is his name. Cleophas Prince Jr., born July 24th, 1967, was known as the Claremont Killer. Uh, convicted and sentenced to death in 1993 for r- the rape and murder of six women in the San Diego, California uh, California area. He was active from January through September of 1990. Uh, before he was arrested for these murders, he was court-martialed again. The nigger in the military. Same as the fucking high-five murders. Uh, two of those niggers. 
excuse me, that were convicted in the high fire murders were um, in the military. Uh, this nigger here was court-martialed, uh, was convicted uh, for larceny, I'm sorry, he was court-martialed for, for larceny in 1989, so just a year before all this shit happened, uh, he was convicted and served the sentence, it was recommended that he be discharged from the United States Navy. Navy. Uh, two months later, he moved to Buena Vista Garden apartment complex, which was close to the location of the first three murder victims. He lived at the Buena Vista complex until May 2nd, 1990. Before his arrest, police characterized the then-known serial killer as a disorganized opportunist for the common patterns in the crimes. In each case, Prince entered the female victim's residence during the daylight hours, I'm sorry, excuse me, during the daylight hours through an unlocked door or window, surprising them during or just after bathing, stabbed them to death with knives taken from their own kitchen. Police theorize that Prince may have stalked some of his victims, including Pamela Clark, at a nearby Miramar Fitness Club near his former girlfriend's residence. He was known to follow at least one of the women home from the gym. He was caught trying to break in her apartment and ran off. This incident would later be what ultimately led to his arrest. Uh, Tiffany Page Schultz was, I believe, his first victim. Uh, she was killed in January. She was killed on, excuse me, on January 12th. Uh, 1990 she was uh, 20 years old lived in an apartment complex just adjacent to Buena Vista Gardens Schultz's boyfriend was initially arrested for her murder but was released three days later when they couldn't really find anything to, to hold him on <laughs> holy shit that's is that that same nigger is that him just like now Chihuahua <laughs> holy shit uh, Schultz was sunbathing on her balcony when she was attacked it's assumed that he put her, she put up a good fight uh, but just this, this huge fucking baboon, nigger killer 5,000, just overpowered her and stabbed her over 50 fucking times or up to or over 50 times. I can't, these are just notes, uh, from an article I read about her. I can't remember exactly what the article said, but, uh, it was, I believe it was over 50 times is the way the article stated it. Uh, the apartment manager said that this motherfucker had come asking for a coat hanger, said he'd locked his keys in his car. And needed a coat hanger, and the apartment manager, I guess this is a, basically the maintenance man of the apartments, gives the nigger the coat hanger. He gives it to him, and then he just walks away from the parking lot towards the apartment buildings. And nobody thought to, like, say anything or, like, like hey, what the fuck are you doing? Nothing. They just let him go on, right? Just let him go on about his fucking business. Uh, his next victim was Janine Marie Weinhold. A, that's a suspect-ass last name, ain't it? <laughs> it's a suspect-ass last name. <laughs> Weinhold. We might not, uh, we might not uh, worry too much about this one, huh? <laughs> uh, shit. Anyway, she was murdered on February 16th, 1990. She was 21. Also lived in an adjacent car apartment complex. Uh, Prince was tied to her murder through DNA testing, and her parents donated money to purchase playground equipment in the South Claremont Park and Recreation Center uh, dedicated it to her memory. Uh, Weinholz had dropped off her roommate at work and was supposed to go home uh, and come back and pick the roommate up after work. She never showed back up, uh, and like her roommate tried to call her, get a hold of her, had other friends call and try to get a hold of her after nobody could get a hold of her. They eventually called the uh, police, and... Uh, Come to find out, once it all came out, she was attacked, leaving the um, 
laundromat of the of the apartment complex, right? So these apartment complexes will have community laundromats, and they even found her like a uh, basket of wet clothes, uh, you know, where she had dropped it when he attacked her between the laundromat and her apartment. Um, uh, the next victim was Holly Suzanne Tarr. She died April thirteenth, nineteen ninety. She was only eighteen. She was visiting her brother, who was staying at the same apartment as this nigger, uh, Buena, the Buena Vista Gardens. Uh, the tar slaying is what led police to believe a serial killer was actually, on, like, in in operation, right? So after hers, this is the third one, and they all had like these similar uh, characteristics or whatever the fuck you want to call it, right? Um, and this is what really st- started getting the police to think, okay, what the fuck is going on here? Maybe we got some weird shit happening. Uh, a ring belonging to Tar was given to Prince's girlfriend. So he gave this, this nigger gave uh, his girlfriend the ring of a woman he had murdered. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Could you imagine like going and, and killing? And this is uh, something I heard of another nigger doing. I think this was the Samuel Little guy. Who's another uh, guy I want to cover. We might uh, get to him a little bit tonight. Uh, but there's another nigger serial killer I'm going to eventually probably cover. Samuel Little. He's the one that, that was admitting to having a network of, of truck driving niggers that just that just are still active. Murdering people. Just left and right. Right? Uh, so yeah, he gives, uh, he gives his girlfriend a ring that belonged to Holly Suzanne Tarr. Uh, Holly and a friend were in a pool, uh, and Holly just ran home to take a shower. She was going to get showered and get ready for the night, and her friend stayed back at the pool. Uh, she had to go run errands before they went out that night. Uh, her friend said she would be sh- up shortly after and told her not to lock the door. Uh, when the friend gets to Holly's apartment, the door is locked, and she hears Holly screaming. She yells for help, and the maintenance man comes and opens the door to find fucking this nigger, Cleophas Prince Jr., in the house, and he charges the maintenance man with a knife. Uh, and the dude, like, basically fucking, like, jumps out of the way, right? Because this nigger just running at him bloody with a knife. So the dude jumps out of the fucking way, and, and this guy gets away, right? This this nigger, Cleophas Prince Jr., he gets away. Uh, he sat there um, over Holly Suzanne Barr's, or I'm sorry, Tar's body, and, and watched her die, and he, like, dripped blood in her vaginal region and, like, would pose her her body right and these other women's body would be posed in this weird way too they like put in this like star pattern right he would he would extend the limbs and the hair out and shit into this weird star pattern um the next victim was Elisa naomi keller she died on may 21st 1990 at the age of 38 years old she lived in East San Diego. She lived in an East San Diego apartment complex where he moved in 1990. A gold nugget ring belonging to Keller was traced to Prince. Keller's mother and daughter did not suspect Prince. Uh, so the mother and daughter are Pamela Gail Clark. They are. They were both killed. As, or I'm sorry, this is a mother and daughter that he killed. I'm sorry, this is a separate one. So uh, that's it for Naomi Keller or Elisa Naomi Keller. So this is a mother and daughter pair that he killed. Uh, Pamela Gail Clark uh, was murdered on September. They were both murdered on September 13th, 1990. Pamela was age 42. Uh, and two of Prince's roommates testified that they seen him with her wedding ring, with Pamela's wedding ring. Uh, Amber Clark, the daughter, age 18, uh, 
It says, at the time the bodies of the Clarks were discovered, at least the killer had not been identified as the victim of a serial killer. But San Diego police characterized the case as the largest manhunt in history in the history of the fourth. The mother was attacked while in the so this is the mother Pamela was attacked while in the shower, and there was a long blood streak where she was dragged through the house. The mother was found just inside the front door, and the daughter Amber was found at the end of the hallway. They were both stabbed eleven times in the signature pattern. They were both put into the star, the the signature star poses, and the daughter was posed in the usual. Yeah, and they were both yeah in the usual star pattern. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. So the mother wasn't put in the star pattern. So the mother was laid out with her legs spread and arms up, but curled toward her head with a knife in one hand, pointing at her head like she was stabbing herself in the head. Holy fucking shit, dude. Uh, a composite drawing of the killer was distributed in April 1990 based on an eyewitness description. That's the maintenance worker who uh, who he attacked with a knife um, fleeing the apartment. Uh, San Diego police initially focused their attention on an accused rapist in January 1991, citing similarities in the suspect's description, method, and opportunity. Prince was caught in February 1991 after he tried to break into Scripps Ranch House. A woman who had followed him home from Miramar, a woman, I'm sorry, who he had followed home from Miramar Road Health Club was getting ready to shower when she heard a noise at the front door. She ran from the house and sought help from a neighbor who came and confronted Prince. Prince claimed he was trying to find a female, a female friend who entered the woman's home, but eventually gave up and scuttled away. The eyewitness took down Prince's license plate number and identified Prince from photographs. He was arrested on February 4th, 1991 in the parking lot of a health club after police alerted the health club's workers to be on the lookout for Prince's automobile. After his arrest, he agreed to provide blood and saliva samples, and the DNA results connected him to the murder of Jane Weinhold. That murder connected him to the others by patterns presented by the murders. Pamela Clark regularly also uh, exercised at the Miramar Road Health Club before noon, and a swimming pool attendant log placed Prince in the vicinity of Holly Tar. Prince struck when he knew his victims would be showering and thus be less attentive to their surroundings. He later bragged about the killings to a friend and took to wearing the dead woman's wedding ring on a chain around his neck. He gave the other ring to his girlfriend uh, as a Christmas present. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Uh, he was arrested on March 3rd, 1991 in Birmingham, Alabama, where he had re returned to visit his family while following his discharge from the Navy. He had been un arrested on an unrelated theft charge and had just been released on bail. Birmingham Police East Precinct Officer Stephen Lampley contacted Prince by phone and told him there was more paperwork he had to complete and to come in, uh, they would, uh, and to come into the precinct, they would have to send Mark. Marked police units to his home. After six hours of talking back and forth on the telephone, Prince walked into the precinct with his mother and was taken into custody. Yeah, his signature... Uh, so, his signature stabbing pattern was concentric circles, or what they call pickerism, over the right death, over their right breast. So, all of these women would have this, what they call pickerism, stab wounds over their right breast. Uh, 
Yeah, so that was like that was the signature stabbing wounds that they were talking about there. And all of that shit. Was this uh pickerism? I don't really know what that is. Here let's see if we can pull that up. Get a get a picture of that. I mean not like the actual stabbings, but whatever the fuck pickerism is. Holy shit. <laughs> Just shows a bunch of fucking dead animals. Let's see what the fucking Uh oh, okay. It's a sexual interest in uh penetrating the skin of another person with sharp objects. Okay, so it's like a, a sexual thing. Right on. I did not know that. So I guess it's just stabbing concentric circles around the chest was his pickerism. I got it now. I understand what they're saying. I understand what they're saying. Uh, all right, guys. Well, that's the end of the Cleophas Prince Jr. thing. So we're going to go on to break. And on the other side of the break, we got some other shit to talk about. A few fucking uh, videos to watch and shit like that, man. So anyhow, I hope you're all enjoying the show so far, man. We'll see you all after the break. Chairman of the National Alliance. But the normal lemmings, most of them less than 30 years old, have been conditioned all their lives, just like the wiggers, by the Jewish media, by the schools, by the government, and by the Christian churches, to believe that blacks are the same as whites except a little darker. Really, most young Americans believe that, and they're surprised every time reality conflicts with their belief. Every day I receive letters from distressed young lemmings who have heard one of my broadcasts or visited my website. They whine at me. Why can't you see that we're all the same? And don't you understand that the only difference between us and blacks is skin color? Don't you know that the only race is the human race? The scientists have proved it. And really, they all sound pretty much alike. They've had these lies drilled into their heads, and they parrot them back at me. And some of these lemmings are reasonably bright, educated people. They really believe that scientists have proved that there is no difference between blacks and whites. And I'm sorry to say, some scientists have contributed to this false belief, either because they are lemmings themselves and want to show that they are politically correct, or because they hope to improve their chances of getting another government research grant. Some of the scientists associated with the Human Genome Project, for example, have been quoted by the media as saying that the mapping of the human genome supports the notion that racial differences are insignificant. 
there is only a fraction of a percent difference between the genomes for whites and for blacks, they say. The genomes for the various races are far more similar than they are different. What they don't say, of course, is that there is only a fraction of a percent difference between the genome for white people and that for chimpanzees. In fact, there is only a very small percentage difference among the genomes for all the species of mammals. Most of the mammalian genome, whether it is for a white person or a rat or a negro or a dog, contains instructions for how to synthesize hair and skin and nails and bone and milk and teeth and nerve tissue and so on. Nearly all of the mammalian genome is taken up with these instructions, which are pretty much the same for all mammals. Only a tiny fraction of the mammalian genome is different for each species. But that tiny fraction of the mammalian genome that specifies whether the hair and skin and bone and other tissues will become a white person or a rat or a negro or a dog is important. The differences, small though they may seem compared to the similarities, are significant. Except to Lemmings, of course, who really don't get it. Born and bred to be a slave to eternal labor that never pays robotically programmed and commanded from tender age. But as the memories fade of the days when I would obey, I'm ready to write my own heroic epic. Let me turn the page, never go back to be timid and weak. My body's here, but it's spirit, man. I live with the Greeks. I pulled the sword from the stone, and now I've got a never-ending itch. And all I can think about is making Grendel my bitch. Fly me to the moon. I'm pretty sure I could make a new crater. Conquest now and deal with Waterloo later. What's a demon but another notch on my pistol? I prefer to call it ambition. Thinking not a wishful Listen to the spirits whisper from the trees and the clouds They'll tell you that it's high time to make them proud War declared, time for battle I'm a man, nobody's cattle Fuck this cage, bite the guard's nose Make the bars rattle Dice cast, no going back This is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be? How much you wanna give? Death just once, ain't a whole lot to pay To live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day Dice cast, no going back This is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be? How much you wanna give? Death just once, ain't a whole lot to pay to live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day One thing's for sure, I don't belong in this modern world My lyrics are bullets and flaming arrows that I shoot and hurl Blotting out the sun with some punishing motherfuckers That wanna shut them down with the rich fucks who wouldn't publish them I'm feeling like a predator whenever I exit the den Praying on pathetic, suicidal, effeminate men Half man and half timberwolf Living in the bitter cold, ripping flesh While you're paying for tinder gold I kill them dead, filling hearts with dread And now these faggots are all checking for us under their beds Fronting in public like we don't phase them All the while talking about us non-stop like someone pays them Holy shit, it's amazing I never thought that I'd be reaching you Maybe you're the next up and soon I'll be teaching you I'm just a tool and so are all these fire tracks Little baby steps till we bring the Roman Empire the back cast, no going back This is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be? How much you wanna give? Death just once ain't a whole lot to pay To live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day Dice cast, no going back This is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be? How much you wanna give? Death just once ain't a whole lot to pay To live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day
I know I'm made of something besides cells and carbon A rebel top to bottom, never begging for a pardon The television station's got me contemplating arson Fake names for my friends, conversations full of coded jargon Modern man's getting sick of the slave life Rising from the gutters with his brothers to brave heights Radical's the only way to be I can't imagine life in slavery And no obsession with breaking free It's war, a battle for the soul of mankind When the blood stops spilling, then you've made it to the end of time And if my words make you feel something, it's a sign To fight the system is to side with the divine The best man wins even if he dies trying Live forever as a picture, be remembered as a lion No crying if it's not tears of joy Yeah, my body's gonna pass But my soul can never be destroyed cast, no going back This is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be? How much you wanna give? Death just once ain't a whole lot to pay To live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day Dice cast, no going back This is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be? How much you wanna give? Death just once ain't a whole lot to pay to live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day it is an honor Will that arise. we should live in such times that the existence of our people rests Three. upon our shoulders is the most supreme of gifts times like these are what birth heroes the moment you feel any fear or doubt strike it from your heart understand that All right, and we are back. Thank you all very much for hanging out through the break. I hope y'all enjoyed that. That's a new song from No Face Nate. Uh, he's been doing really good shit there coming out of the Media to Rise uh, camp or whatever you want to call it, whatever they got going on over there. They're doing great shit. Still waiting for that Waukesha documentary. I'm really excited for that to come out. I know how hard video editing is because I <laughs> try to fuck around with it every now and again, and it's incredibly time-consuming, so... I can only imagine how hard it is to get an actual good-looking, well-produced documentary out, right? So, yeah, great shit from those guys, man. Really excited to see everything they got going on. Uh, just a quick, real quick before we get on down the road, uh, a few honorable mentions when it comes to these nigger serial killers. We got uh, Lonnie Franklin Jr., he's known as the Grim Sleeper, killed at least 10 women in southern Los Angeles during a murderous rampage in the mid-1980s. Then another one in the early... 2000s. Police actually believe him to be responsible for as many as 25 killings. He, he was apprehended in 2007 and currently sits on California's death row where he continues to maintain his innocence divide, despite overwhelming DNA evidence that proves his guilt. Franklin shot his victims randomly at close range, sticking around to taunt them, taking photographs and raping them. One survivor described blacking out and coming to realizing that at one point Franklin was on top of her. Of course, he documented all of this, reveling in the woman's uncertainty. It was also Henry Louis Wallace, or I'm sorry, Henry Lewis Wallace, convicted of killing nine women in Charlotte, North Carolina, over a span of 22 months in the early 90s. Wallace knew his victims gained their trust, and lending uh, lending them a shoulder to cry on, and posing as someone with compassion. Wallace's actual motives were rape, burglary, arson, and murder. Slow, agonizing death by double lig ligature strangulation. He would often carry tools with him, like pillowcases, towels, or, and, or mostly he would just make use of what was around him, anything that would compress the throats of his victim. 
He would choke and rape them simultaneously, bringing them in in and out of consciousness through the use of ligatures. Aroused by the trauma he inflicted, Wallace committed necrophilia and attended the victim's funerals and even attempted to strangle a baby in one occasion. Then we got Samuel Little. This is the one that kind of creeped me out the most. Uh, Not that, you know, his crimes were any more brutal, but the shit he talked about, when you look into his uh, confessions, his confession video, it's like hours long. We can't really watch it on here. I could probably go get clips from it and and do like uh, timestamps on a future episode. But he talked about, so he was a truck driver, right? Um, Samuel Little was a truck driver, and he talked about a network of serial killing nigger truck drivers that he worked with, right? He would, like, work with them. They had, like, a secret coded language that they used over the CB radios to, like, tag a good place where there were women to kill, like lot lizards and things like that. And uh, he himself was responsible for over over or approximately 93 murders across 19 states. So Samuel Little was only convicted. They could only convict him of three murders, and, and they were, it was in California in 2014. He was already serving multiple sentences in prison. In 2018, however, Little confessed that his victims count is much higher, stating that he killed approximately 93 people across 19 states between 1970 and 2005. This would make him one of the most prolific serial killers ever. As of late 2020, the FBI has been able to link him to over 50 murders that he has confessed to. And he confessed to having a network of serial killer niggers that he worked with. And they, like I said, they had this like coded language. They would talk, oh, oh yeah, I just came through fucking St. Louis and at the fucking Flying J, there's four chicken nuggets, right? Ready for fucking to be eaten type of deal, right? That's the kind of shit they had. And they would kill these women and, like, share photos and all this weird shit. Uh, I believe he was even talking about, like, some of them, uh, like, recording it. And, yeah, it's just all kinds of weird, disturbing shit. All kinds of weird, disturbing shit. Uh, but, yeah, man, that's uh, that's the nigger serial killer bit for today. Uh, here pretty quick, I'm going to do a complete rundown on this all. And I'm going to stop, right? I'm about to do a, a, a complete rundown on the book Program to Kill. And I'm going to give my uh, my rundown on this all. And then uh, we'll probably be done with the nigger killer, nigger serial killer bit for a while. Uh, because I think I got a real nice, uh, real nice uh, summarization of what's going on with it all once I put it all together. Uh, there's a really good book, Program to Kill, that... Uh, it was written by a guy named Dave McGowan, and it talks about not nigger serial killers specifically, but serial killers in general and some of their connections, and I have a theory going on with it all that I'm going to get into. But uh, uh, let's see, here we got, uh, what was it, uh, the, the Test Majors, you guys remember Test Majors, right? So there was a, they finally sentenced... I think it was like two days ago. They sentenced the, the guys who killed Tess Majors to fucking 14 years. 14 fucking years for the murder of a white college student. 
Uh, says the shattered parents of slain Bernard College student Tess Majors detailed their daughter's dying moments, saying they miss her every second of every day as the last of the three attackers was sentenced to 14 years to life on Wednesday. He'll do 10 years, man. He'll do 10 fucking years and be back out on the street. Exactly, The Rock. Exactly. This fucking piece of shit nigger will do 10 fucking years and be back out on the street. And he's he's not that old. I think they were all teenagers, right, when all this happened. Uh, I don't even think some of them were even 18 yet. So now this nigger's going to go into to fucking what they call gladiator camp. Become a seasoned fucking hardcore killer in prison. And then be released back out onto the street to kill more people. And, you know, this shit is becoming an epidemic that, like, you guys would not believe. Like, you guys would not believe the way they're letting these violent niggers back out. And they just continue to murder. Look at this shit here. Look at this shit here. Oh, shit. Sorry, guys. You Over can't hear this. Listen to this shit. Residents of Harris County, Texas, facing the fallout from soft on crime policies. Crime Stoppers Houston reporting more than 150 people have been killed in that county by suspects out on multiple felonies. 150 fucking people that they were released by have been killed. A hundred and fucking 50 people have been murdered by people that these fucking Jews let out on bond, dude. They're literally, you know, I talked about this uh, anecdotally from my own life of knowing and growing up with these fucking violent niggers that have been let out time after time after time for shooting with people, trying to kill people. And they'll get like, you know, discharging a firearm in public, uh, plead it down to like aggravated assault and get out with probation time. Right. Or, or fucking two years in jail. Right. They'll give them fucking six years. You know what I mean? And they'll do fucking, you know, two, three years on it and get out of fucking jail. Or be released on bond or get paroled or just get letting it's like letting a fucking while you know it's like a pit bull you know the uh comparison to pit bulls is so uh apt right for for, for niggers it's like it's like letting a fucking uh, a pit bull that continuously bites children go back to to its owners right they just continue to let it go fucking attack children and never put this fucking thing down. It's fucking insane, dude. Our next guest is a West Point graduate who wants to restore funds to the Harris County criminal justice system. Let's bring in Republican candidate for Harris fucking County Judge, judge. Alexandra Del Moral Miller. Good morning, uh, Alexandra. I, I guess you're running for this office because you want the principles and morals and really the way of life that you believe in and, and is a part of this country to be represented in Harris County. When I hear that I believe the number was 115 folks that are accused or credibly charged with murder have been let out, I believe that's uh, correct. What, what is the message there? In what situation does someone who has committed murder or charged with committing murder, in what situation do they need, do they need to be released without bail or released on bail? No, and uh, thank you for having me. Um, and I, I would say, <clears throat> Right now, what we're experiencing here in Harris County is really nothing short than a failure of leadership. And this problem really did start back in 2019. And to your point, that's when Crime Stoppers first raised the alarm about this new slate of progressive judges that started routinely releasing the most violent offenders back into our community. 
and it's resulted in that death toll, you know, over 150. And to really bring this point home, right now there's 113 people charged with murder that are out walking our streets right now, one of whom not only has been convicted of two armed robberies, but is currently being charged with murdering a 17-year-old boy in a road rage incident, you know, after an Astros game. So I think we all have to sort of take a step back and think, is this really uh, the America we want to live in? Uh, yeah, these me, are all yeah. fucking non-whites. These are all fucking non-whites. She was talking about a road rage incident. Look at this shit here. Look at this shit here. Let me find this real quick. I know I've got it here. Uh, I know I fucking got it here. This is, th- th- when I find this, this is in fucking, uh, yeah, this is in Tulsa. This is where I used to live when I was younger. This is where I grew up. This is how these fucking non-whites behave. <gasps> Look, this oh is in the middle God. of the fucking day. Is he shooting him up? In Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yes. Let's go. Call 911. This fucking, shooting at a busy Tulsa intersection wagon was caught I can't on tell camera. if he's a fucking Videos wagon burner on social or media show a man firing shots in what witnesses say appeared to be a case of road rage. News on 6's Emery Bryan spoke with people who were there. Yes, when go. this man got out of his car to confront another driver, Julie he Wilson shot, he shot cars at that intersection. Loud, loud Thank God he didn't kill anybody. But he's just opening fire in broad daylight in the middle of a fucking intersection. Tried to hit the top of that car. This was at 11th and Sheridan in Tulsa by the bread factory and a quick trip. The intersection was filled with cars. Someone else got a much closer view. The man fired six shots at the driver who was speeding away. It was this video, according to court records, that prompted the suspect to turn himself in. 30-year-old Brian... Look at that fucking disgusting piece of shit. ...and now faces complaints of assault with a deadly weapon. And he'll get off light, too, because you can't charge these fucking feather niggers with anything. Right? They have to be charged federally. Uh, Oklahoma did this weird, stupid fucking thing where you can't charge Indians as a st- in a state crime. They have to be charged federally, so the feds have to pick it up. Yeah, or I don't know if he's a beaner or a fucking Indian. You can't fucking tell the difference with those fucking things, man. Who fucking knows? But yeah, just like that fucking that thing was saying, 150 people killed by people let out on fucking bonds. And, and that's just in fucking Texas, dude. That's just in fucking Texas. And then she's talking about one of these guys killed somebody in a road rage incident. And then here in fucking Oklahoma, we've got some fucking bean nigger shooting in the middle of traffic, dude. I mean, I mean, can you get any more third world than this? Can you get any more third world than what we've got here with this shit? I mean, seriously. And this is the kind of shit here. Uh, look at this guy here. Here's another thing from fucking Texas. Uh, rented Mercedes uh, linked to a man in suspected lane, uh, slain yacht dealer, right? This nigger here... Uh, Devon Jordan was charged uh, with killing of Jeff Johnson, 58, who lived in Marina Village neighborhood. Johnson was shot in the garage of his home on June 10th after returning from a diner with his wife in, at a Houston restaurant. Uh, shot in the chest. Uh, the bullet lacerated his liver, killing him. Uh, police say at the time they believe Johnson and his wife were followed home from their Capitol Grill, a steakhouse in western... Uh, Houston, I'm sorry, Western Houston. Uh, three people were believed to be involved with the attack. Johnson police say only Jordan has been charged in connection to the killing. Police, however, say more arrests are possible. Uh, this guy here. Here we go. Okay, so this guy that killed this dude, uh, 
this guy, this yacht owner, he followed him home from the restaurant and killed him in front of his wife, right? This nigger uh, was also previously arrested in July in Houston and charged with capital murder for the killing of Joshua Sandoval, age 29, of Houston. Like Johnson, Sandoval was followed home and shot during a robbery, according to Houston TV station KHOU. Sandoval was killed on May 27th, two weeks before Johnson's death. So in two fucking weeks, this nigger was able to kill somebody, get let off on capital murder, and get out and kill somebody else in the exact same fucking way. Within two fucking weeks. Within two fucking weeks. He was able to do this shit. It's just fucking absolutely absurd. There's another fucking uh, thing just like this. Um, let me see if that's all the crazy shit that was in this one. Yeah. There's another thing just fucking like this. Where this nigger's on, on fucking camera shooting up this fucking thing. And, and they just dropped the charges on him. Watch this shit. This nigger's on camera and they have to drop the charges because of like a, some weird discrepancy. In, like, the confession or some shit like that. Case dropped. An accused gunman in the banquet hall. Right now at 5, case dropped. An accused gunman in the banquet hall shooting will not face charges. Look at Tonight, this shit. why prosecutors say they had no choice but to drop their case connected to a deadly mass shooting. CBS 4's Ted Scown is live at the jail with why prosecutors are not formally charging Warren Eric Buckner. Ted? Well, Elliot and Lauren, it all comes down to his Miranda rights. According to the state attorney's office, the suspect asked for an attorney while he was being questioned. They say that the, that interrogation by police continued. Yes, Therefore, the camera was racist, Wiggy Dog, exactly. For the, attorney, the camera was fucking racist. thrown out. Right now, we're waiting for him to be released from jail. You were arrested for two cases. When Werneric Buckner was arrested and charged with three counts of murder and 20 counts of attempted murder for the El Mula Club shooting, it was considered a big break in the case. During questioning, Buckner admitted to being the person in the front seat of this SUV and being one of the three people from the vehicle who fired into the crowd, according to his arrest report. But now prosecutors are not charging him, saying when he was questioned by investigators, he implicated himself and other gunmen, but that the defendant initially invoked his right to counsel and despite that invocation, homicide investigators with the Miami-Dade Police Department continued to conduct an interrogation. Attorney Mark Eiglarsh is not involved in the case. He explains what this all means. The prosecutor is saying that they violated the defendant's Miranda rights, so his statement is not going to come into evidence. What's left doesn't prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt, according to the prosecutor. So because this nigger said he wanted a lawyer, but then continued to confess to the fucking crime, and he's on video doing the crime. They have to let him go. Like, th it, this system is, is broken, dude. Nobody wants to live in a country where you can have a fucking nigger on camera shooting up a club, a nightclub, and then because he didn't, they didn't go through the right procedures, he's allowed to be, to be let back out onto the street to go do this shit again. And I guarantee you, he probably did it the next weekend. He probably did it again that fucking night because that's how these people are. Like, that's, what, that's one thing that people don't understand about uh, niggers, but, I mean, really just, like, crime in general, to be honest, right? To, to, be, to be honest, let's just, you know, for transparency's sake, people usually don't get caught the first time they do something, right? These niggers that get caught shooting up, you know, 
public places and, and doing drive-bys on, on rival gangs and shit. This isn't the first time. It's, it's, it's not their first time they've done this that they've gotten caught. Most of these niggas have killed five, six people by the time they get caught for, like, robbing a liquor store or some dumb shit like that. Dude, these are brutal fucking people. Brutal fucking people, dude. It's fucking absurd, man. It's absolutely fucking absurd. Absolutely fucking absurd, man. On another note, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this. I mean, we already fucking knew that, but now fentanyl, I guess, has been rising to the number one cause of death in America. The number one cause of death in America, fentanyl. The newest numbers for 2021 show fentanyl has become the leading cause of death for ages 18 to 45. CDC data now shows it killed nearly twice as many people as COVID, car accidents, cancer, and suicide. Dan Grossman explores what experts say must change. People on the wall are folks that we served or people that we know that were loved that died of a preventable overdose. You've likely heard the phrase, the face of addiction. For some of these faces, that is true. For many, it is not. That is our why. Dead drug users do not have the opportunity for recovery. And when people are alive, there's hope. When they're on the wall, there's no more hope. Lisa Rayville is the executive director of the Harm Reduction Center in Denver. In just the last week, she has added eight new faces to this wall, several of them because of fentanyl. We are in the worst overdose crisis we've ever been in in the United States. In a magical world, there'd be no drugs, but we live here. Last year, fentanyl claimed the lives of 40,010 Americans ages 18 to 45, more than car accidents, suicide, COVID, and cancer. It is a meteoric rise in danger and one that has landed squarely in the hands of drug dealers. What is driving these behaviors in the illicit market is clearly uh, just profit, is greediness. Dr. Nora Volkoff is the director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Because fentanyl is so much cheaper than heroin and nearly 50 times as potent, dealers are using it to cut their drugs so they can stretch them further, regardless of potential harm. The National Institute on Drug Abuse says last year, 75% of cocaine overdose deaths were mixed use with fentanyl. The same goes with 50% of methamphetamine overdose. And I don't understand that. I mean, like, I know what, like, speedball is, right? Like, doing uh, opioid and... um speed right i understand that uppers and downers i understand like what's going on there but it doesn't it, it strikes me as odd that people would put fucking fentanyl in their cocaine and the people that did the cocaine wouldn't be pissed right because like you're wanting to speed off of cocaine and fentanyl does not make you fucking speed trust me on that right you will be a nodding out motherfucker right that's what it does it makes you like nod out that's why they call it like the dope fiend lean right uh when you go and you see these uh, hardcore heroin addicts or, or fentanyl or just opioid addicts in the street, they're like bent over at the waist and like leaning over and like swaying back and forth. And like and they call it the dope fiend lean because that's like what the opioids do to you, right? They're, they're a sedative. They have a sedative effect. They make you nod out and shit. So, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, Trad Dad says China's flooding the U.S. with fentanyl. I, I, that could be true. But also Mexico, dude, right? A lot of these drugs are coming up from Mexico, man. Uh, so I'm sure that, that China is probably has some hand in it, and people are probably ordering it 
off like the dark web and shit from China, but a lot of this shit is coming up, a lot, especially a lot of these uh, fentanyl-laced drugs are coming up from fucking Mexico, right? So, but yeah, uh, Sugar Ray listener 1488 is right. It ain't fucking China. It's the fucking Sackler family right here in America. It's these fucking Jews that that, that fucking fund, that own and uh, own these pharmaceutical companies and fund this uh, pharmaceutical pharmaceutical marketing campaign, right? I know, I'm sure this is falling on deaf ears, but everybody knows that, you know, the Sackler families, uh, Purdue Pharma, they are the first ones to buy up ads in medical journals promoting their, their pharmaceutical drugs, right? They did it with Valium originally and then continued on with uh, with opioids. But man, guys, I don't know. I guess uh, maybe we could take calls. I could probably open up the calls for the second half of the for the rest of the show. I don't really got much more. We ran through all the content I had for tonight, man. It's uh, I think that's all I got. Yeah. Test majors. <laughs> I got this funny. We can watch this shit. This has nothing to do with anything, but it's just fucking hilarious, and I saw it. Watch this shit. So this Chinese bitch can't into. She can't figure out the fucking escalator, guys. This bitch, she just cannot figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I've said that before, Gibbs Bananas. Uh, war with Mexico is best war. It's the only just war. Yeah, it's got to come down, uh, kick shift. That's it right there. Uh, <laughs> she fall- hey, for a solid minute, this bitch is falling down this fucking escalator. <laughs> hey, and I, I, that shit hurts too, man. That's a, <laughs> I don't feel good at all, that fucking metal escalator. <laughs> I don't feel fucking good at all. But yeah, kick chef, you're hundred percent right. That's why I keep saying, man, like it it's rotten to the core and it's all gotta it's all gotta burn, dude. It's got to be burned so something new can be rose up from the ashes of this fucking disgusting thing. <laughs> oh shit, man. Yeah, white man technology is tricky, right? <laughs> That was fucking funny. It was like it, it was almost like she was yeah, like she was in you know like when the rats get uh, they lose their footing on the hamster wheel and it just fucking flips them around in the fucking wheel. It's kind of what it was like. She was just like rolling <laughs> in unison with the fucking thing. Uh fuck, man. Here, let me do this real quick. I'll uh go to the thing and we'll do some calls. Just gotta figure out how to fucking make an invite. <laughs> well, fuck! I'm too oh, I'm too retarded to figure out how to get a fucking 
link here. I've never, I don't use this thing much. I actually, I haven't really ever used this fucking. I think he, I think White Tuber and I used it for. Uh, Christmas show, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I can't figure it out, man. Anyhow, guys, we're probably going to shut it on down, man. I ran through all the content I had, and I can't figure out this fucking voice chat thing. So we're going to go ahead and fucking ride on out of here, man. I think I appreciate all y'all for being here, man. I hope y'all enjoyed it tonight. Uh, as always, man, take care of yourself and take care of each other. One people, one struggle. Have a good night, family. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, and fuck you, I'm out. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, and fuck you, I'm out. You're right.